This is episode 45 with Brett Bartholomew. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on your impactful journey. Okay, stay tuned to the end of this episode to find out what the hell we're actually carrying on about there. Brett Bartholomew is a strength and conditioning coach, author, consultant, and founder of the performance coaching and consulting company called The Bridge Human Performance. His experience includes working with athletes such as NFL stars, Major League Baseballers, Olympians, and many more, along with members of the United States Special Forces and members of Fortune 500 companies. Taken together, Brett has coached a diverse range of athletes from across 23 sports worldwide at levels ranging from youth elite athletes to Olympians. As an advisor and entrepreneur, Brett has proudly served as a teammate and supporting partner in the strategic growth of two separate performance companies and is a highly sought-after consultant and mentor. Additionally, his work and expertise has been featured in numerous local and national media outlets such as ESPN, Fox Sports and Inc. Magazine. From a philanthropic standpoint, Brett serves as the vice president for the non-profit organization called Movement to Be, which serves youth in underprivileged communities through helping them learn more about physical activity and proper movement. And he was awarded the Kansas State University's Entrepreneur Award in 2017. His book, Conscious Coaching, The Art and Science of Building Buy-In, achieved bestseller status in two categories and was ranked in the Amazon Top 100 Books overall in 2017. It is currently being used by several universities as source material used to help guide future coaches and professionals. Now, I've known this legend for over three years and we call each other brothers from another mother and he's a fun, a just an absolute energetic ball of fun. And I'll just say, prepare yourself for an absolute bucket load of highly valuable information on human behavior that will help shift your perception of the coaching and leadership world. Before we start, I'm taking the time to read a very short iTunes review, and this one is from JMD273, and they say, Excellent work, Brett. Great listening, very inspiring. Even my son has wanted to listen. Well, thanks, JMD273, you legend, for taking the time and effort to give me that five-star rating, and I'm glad your son enjoys listening, and whatever his name is, I'm going to say, G'day, legend, son of JMD273. It's greatly appreciated for that review, and remember, for everyone listening, you can get a chance to get your review read, and even a little shout-out to your son if you've got one who's listening and enjoying, because it's a great way to support this podcast by jumping onto iTunes and giving your rating and review. Now, let's hear from the energetic legend, Brett Bartholomew. Brett, 
What is conscious coaching? Conscious coaching is just at its simplest, if I had to do it in one word, it's awareness. It's awareness and being a more astute observer and more importantly, or perhaps is equal of equal importance is adaptability. So I guess it would be best if I did it in two words. It means awareness and adaptability. That's phenomenal that you put it like that because I believe that for any human to be the best coach, the best leader, the best parent, CEO, colleague, loving partner, whatever it is, they need to know themselves the best. And my coaching philosophy is that I aim to make my athletes better people, which in turn will help them become better athletes. And in order for me to achieve this, I believe I have to be the best version of myself. So that self-awareness that you talk about makes a lot of sense to me and actually I want to hear your thoughts on this because I know that's what this whole book is essentially referring to and elaborating on that self-awareness a bit more. I think you said it perfectly right there. Self-awareness, I think, is not just a key term. It's a critical skill. And I think that when you study conflict, when you study human nature, when you look at any of those things, most of it comes about because people overestimate their own competency, especially in, in their selves uh, or themselves, and uh, you know don't don't understand that a lack of clarity – uh, whenever you're communicating with somebody else is a two-way street. And I think that, you know, it could be, you have to be careful that can go down kind of a wishy-washy scenario really quickly. You know, I think this whole mindfulness movement's been important and things like that. But, you know, it, it's to me, awareness and self-reflection and adaptability is a lot more than mindfulness. I just think that it's about a an understanding of what makes people tick, um, a realization of your own strengths and your weaknesses, and just being brutally honest with yourself and others as a communicator, uh, but at the same time, understanding how to adapt that message, right? So uh, in our in our current society, everything has become so politically correct that people oftentimes don't say what they mean because they always feel like they're going to offend somebody or they're trying to please everybody. And the, the problem with that is, is the more aware you are of those kinds of things and the way you try to micromanage, the worse or more inauthentic it's going to come off. So, you know, I just think, you know, I grew up in the Midwest of the United States and we speak in just, uh, you know, a straightforward manner. We, we say what we mean and we mean what we say. And a big part of that is inherent in conscious coaching as well. Actually, you the way that you refer to that is when I think about the studies that I've done around emotional intelligence and the key underlying foundation of that is emotional awareness. And that's what essentially you're referring to with self-awareness where I can, the mindfulness practices are super important. I teach them, I practice them, I love them. But what I actually find most powerful and a biggest breakthrough with people that I coach is when or that I work beside is when they actually understand when they have their emotional awareness and they understand, okay, when anger arises, it takes me here. Uh, I can still operate, but I can't operate at my best capacity. When I'm happy, when I'm content, when I actually content's not a great word, but when I'm uh, grateful, when I'm in a state of gratitude, I can't be in a state of resentment. So it's understanding and becoming aware of what those emotions are and where they take you and how well you can operate yourself when you're in those emotional states. Yeah, 100%. I mean, people, I think people forget that there's a difference between things that are complicated and things that are complex. And for example, studying when the next solar eclipse is going to come or any act of manufacturing, say a vehicle, those things are complicated, right? So the, the problem is easily identifiable and why they may not seem easy, such as, you know, using astrophysics to predict the next solar eclipse as long as you can apply an algorithm there, you're going to be able to figure that out, right? There's, it's a pretty stable problem to solve. Communication is complex. So are human relationships. 
complexity is more aligned with things like uh, economics, right? The price of oil is going to vary heavily on a number of interdependent factors, right? There's no clear cut idea to how somebody could predict the price of oil in 12 months. It just doesn't happen. Uh, another thing that's complex is the human brain. All these interconnected, rapidly evolving and adapting parts, uh, you know, the brain works in an asynchronous and nonlinear manner. Um, that's why you see so many different personality disorders. That's why you see so many misunderstandings in human communication, all these things. So people need to understand that really, you know, communication and relationships is chess, not checkers. Um, a random fact is after 20 moves of chess, if you and I are playing chess, like 20 cumulative moves, over 120 million possible movement combinations still exist. So they surmise that the same game of chess will never, ever, ever be played twice because every move from every partner changes the role of every piece on every board, as does every subsequent move after that. And to me, that's human interaction. And that's something I'm diving into pretty deep here with um, a, co a course that I'm building. Um, we're, we've got a website called theartofcoaching.com. Uh, and we really feel passionate about that title because coaching, as you know, Brett, isn't just about working with athletes. It's about communicating with individuals uh, and no matter where you are in life or what you do. And so we're going to break down kind of the complex nature of coaching and communication and look at it through a human behavioral lens of all these things that influence people. Um, so anyway, that's kind of my rant on that. Something as I've continued to research communication after the book and uh, as I continue to speak and consult to this day. Now, before we dive deeper into everything you've just spoken about and your super creative and interesting mind that I have no doubt is like that chessboard that will never repeat itself twice, I want to yeah. say, mate, welcome to your life of impact. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I mean, anybody listening, uh, Brett is family. So this this means a lot. We used to live together for a short while. We haven't talked in a very long time. So we're literally catching up right in front of you guys. And you're listening to one of the most unique individuals there is. So it's my honor. Well, we do call each other the brothers from another mother. So <laughs> we have known each other for actually, it's been exactly three years right now. It was this time. So it's the 27th of November, 2017 at the time of this recording. And it was from October till December in 2014 that I was living in your house in Phoenix while I was there for an internship at the World Athletic Center, which is now known as Altus. And my gorgeous fiance, Marie, who I referred to as the shit hot Swede, and I had an absolute blast in your home with you and your beautiful wife, Liz. And a few of the things that I remember is uh, strobe lights and mood lights in your kitchen. And we used to have fire pit Friday, some Friday nights where coaches and friends would come over and We'd chill out and have some awesome chats and even sing and dance around the fire and have some food. I remember some pretty epic training sessions in your garage and sprints up and down the street with the neighbors probably thinking that you were crazy. Which is fine. That's fine with me. And we had some in-depth brekkie chats and uh, I introduced you to the term brekkie. We had floss band sessions in the loft. There was I've got many great memories from your house. Yeah, we had a lot of fun, man. We had a lot of fun. It was great. So thanks again for having me. <laughs> Actually, I stayed at your place for two weeks again in April 2015 when I came back to Phoenix to do the performance therapy course at Altus and that's when you would be 
finish with your day, which would be about 10 p.m. or later, and I'd be crawling into my bed on the loft and you'd be retiring to your room to write this very book that we're talking about. That was super early days of the book. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the book the book took all in all three years to write and definitely went through a lot of different derivations, went through a lot of changes. Writing a book teaches you a lot about yourself, that's for sure. Now, before we dive a little bit deeper into some parts of this book, your journey into the strength and conditioning world actually blossomed from you almost losing your life from an eating disorder when you're a teenager. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to that point, you know, and I, th- I believe you did a, uh, a write-up on this not too long ago or well, I guess a couple years ago now. But um, yeah, initially what basically started as depression, a lot of my friends got into drugs, uh, parents were getting divorced. You know, I was a teenager that early on, like I knew I kind of wanted to do things that made a bigger impact. But at that point in your life, you don't know what that is. So it created a lot of anxiety. You know, I just felt like I didn't relate to people that all they want to do is party, drink, do drugs, do this. So just kind of these feelings as a 14, 15 year old, you start feeling kind of lonely. You know, like I was pretty driven early, but I didn't know how to like target that, you know, like at the time I just played sports and and hung out with friends. I wasn't really into a whole bunch of clubs or what have you. Like high school just didn't really resonate with me. The things that were important to most high school kids and the whole kind of click thing wasn't really my vibe. And so I just kind of buried myself in training. And I, you know, I never really felt like, you know, I had done my freshman year, I was homecoming royalty and, you know, all those kinds of things. So it wasn't like I was some loner in the corner, you know, but again, you'd go to parties and people would just want to get wasted and do this and do that. And eventually I just kind of, I don't know, I just went into kind of this hole of, I felt like I couldn't relate to many people. Uh, a lot of times I just ended up feeling like I wanted to be alone. I started training. Training became an obsession. I didn't know how to train at the time. I followed bad nutrition advice from bodybuilding magazines and all this stuff. It said, you know, oh, eat low carb. No, eat low fat. So, you know, I did both, uh, which basically means you're eating almost nothing but protein, which with the metabolism of a teenager, that's not going to turn out well. Um, so, yeah, I was hospitalized for an eating disorder you know, really would have been more accurate to, to really diagnose it as depression, uh, you know, because I never really had a fear of food. I never had a fear of the, but it was atypical eating patterns, right? Like I was becoming obsessive about what I ate. I was restrictive about it. Everything had to be perfect. Um, you could say that there was quite a bit of OCD involved. And long story short, I was hospitalized for about a year. And if you've ever seen the movie Misery, that's literally what you know, the interaction with the nurses and the people in that hospital were like, they treated you kind of more like a symptom than a person. There wasn't a lot of, you know, communication. You, uh, everybody kind of received labels early on. Like we were all kind of the same, right? They never really spent much time, despite the fact that we had to meet with therapists every week and all these other things. They never really spent much time trying to get to the core of anybody's issue. It was, you know, as simple as wake up, get your blood drawn, maybe shower if you're at a high enough body weight, you know, eat your meals, get your calories in, sit around in a room, talk about your problems. The nurse kind of just twiddles her pen in their hand and, and, you know, whether it's what she wants to hear or not, check, makes check marks or updates on your progress. And you can't leave the place until you're a certain weight. And it was just kind of a really disgusting, odd place. You know, the nurses and the doctors involved kind of, you could see the power dynamics and the micropolitics that existed, you know, as every week clients would go in for, or patients would go in for a review. Were they meeting their goals? Could they get discharged? Could they do this? Could they do that? And I mean, I saw nurses that literally took some kind of sick pleasure in revoking privileges from some patients that hadn't met you know, weight goals or that they didn't view as compliant. Uh, when I left, when I was 15 years old, I had a nurse give me this 
kind of just creepy smile and tell me she thinks I'll be back. Uh, it was just a weird place. And it taught me that you, know, you can have people that have PhDs, you know, that have every degree under the sun, that have, you know, all these different kinds of jobs or, or perceived experts. And really, it doesn't mean much of anything if they don't have social intelligence, because, uh, you know, a lot of patients just grew to distrust the staff there and didn't want to be honest with them because they were just kind of really odd, control hungry. It was just a very weird dynamic. And so, when I got out of there, you know, it just made me realize the importance of human communication, motivational interviewing, you know, helping understand really what what it is that drives people and how you can help them at a deep level as opposed to kind of the superficial judgments most make. So that hospitalization led to me getting into coaching. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, to this day, I mean, listen, I work with athletes. So the training piece is important. I love it. I love seeing people get bigger, faster, stronger, all those things. You know, but it's also great to make a difference in their life. And I I don't do it in any kind of uh, I think we've been disillusioned. Coaching often comes off as this warm, sing songy, empathetic thing. Sometimes that's not the case. There's many times I have to be pretty Machiavellian with my athletes as well. And that's that's the reality of human nature and human interaction is no, no matter what book tells you that everything is just about warmth and relationships. They're full of it because relationships are not clean. It, there's a lot of messy interactions. There's conflict management. There's a lot of things that go on that you as an individual have to clean up. And I think dealing with manipulative people really early on in my life and in my career taught me how to do that in a more efficacious manner. Like you said, I have written about this and I'll link it in the show notes so people can learn more about it. And there's more to that story around how you learned a lot about the strength and conditioning coaching and taught yourself a lot around nutrition that you didn't learn from in there. And I saw that evolve over your career and the direction it's taken you. And as horrific as that experience in your life is, what I love about what I see from that is it's a prime example what I relate to collateral beauty. And you spoke about uh, a movie before. I've never seen that movie, Misery. But the movie from Will Smith called Collateral Beauty, which I absolutely loved and I spoke about in my recent episode number 30 because what I've experienced through many of the inspirational humans I've had on this podcast is the collateral beauty that arises when people don't let themselves suffer too long after adversity and they learn how to develop those mindsets of abundance and resilience from these major life challenges and they build so much off them and that's exactly what I see you doing through your coaching career and this book and now this new uh, website platform that you're doing also. Yeah, thanks. And yeah, I mean, to your point, I didn't want to go too in-depth. You know, it's about 50 pages in the book. So, you know, I want to keep that pretty pretty short and sweet. If people want to read more about it, that is a big part of the book and, and early on. And then, yeah, it's, it's what's led to, you know, doing uh, the bridge human performance and uh, what we're building out now with the art of coaching.com. So it's pretty unique. Um, if anybody's interested in kind of seeing a free chapter of that, Brett will share those in the show, show notes. Uh, we put, I've given him a free kind of communication guide that we put together, um, free chapter of the book handout. So I, I know in today's world, everybody's got to be careful where they spend their money and their time. So I want to be transparent and just give you a chance to read that, you know, um, free of charge and easy to access early on if you're interested. Perfect. I definitely will link that up in the show <laughs> notes. But in the book, you teach us the stages of internal identification. So the reflection, inspection and progression. Can you elaborate a little bit on these areas? Yeah. So, you know, basically I was sitting in a Denver airport one year and I was trying to just I I was really hungry for some, you know, kind of feedback and further development. And I've never really had a classic mentor. So I've always just relied on, you know, 
trying to answer, ask myself the tough questions and always make sure that I'm not kind of falling back on surface level answers or, or practices. And I'm always just coherent as to why I'm doing what I'm doing and why. Um, I think everybody out there is probably familiar with classic psychometric evaluations like the DISC assessment, Myers-Briggs, all things that I talk about in my book as well. But those things don't always show how you are across all contexts, right? So they're valuable, but they don't really always kind of show your underlying drives. So the best way I can kind of talk about this without being too wordy is reflection comes down to questioning who you are, um, digging deep into your past, thinking critically about transformative moments within it and the impact they had on you. Uh, inspection is examining who you are. So that's taking those insights from that reflection and now looking at them a bit more closely and saying, okay, why was this impactful? What did this do? Why did this lead me down that path? Um, what does success in this domain look like? All these kinds of pieces. And then progression is owning who you are. So that's the next natural step after you understand kind of the roots and underpinnings of who you are and what you want to become. And it's just a matter of getting really, really crystal clear about your past and then the future you want to have, right? So if you say you want to make a difference, fantastic. But what does that look like? What does that look like personally? What does that look like professionally? If it applies to you, what does that look like spiritually? All those kinds of things. And so just diving deep and really giving you a three-step process as to how you can be a bit uh, more investigative in, in terms of your own self-reflection. That's what I absolutely love about your book, that you can read it as any, you can be, like I said before, a leader, a coach, a parent, someone just trying to learn something new in personal or professional development, whatever it is. And for those of us who aren't trying to be uh, world-class athletes or coach world-class athletes, we can relate this concept to the importance of all people becoming super clear on what they want so they actually know what action to take and what decisions to make, what opportunities to actually say yes and no to, for example, in our lives. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And I think that just giving people those kinds of models that they can modify and adapt and help them better reflect in a more personal way and also just practical way. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, Brad, I just got really tired of, you know, anytime somebody goes to self-help or self-improvement or any of this stuff, I just got tired of the motivational stuff. You know, people that make life seem like it's all about just positivity and great habits and all those things, those things certainly play a role, right? They play a role, but there's more to that. And so I know it seems a bit dark, but I'm just somebody that is trying to bring more, a a little bit of the pragmatism back to the kind of self-development side of things um, and, and helping people. There was a really great book that I read called The Upside to Your Dark Side that even just talks about the power of negative emotions. And instead of people in today's society running around thinking, oh, you know, like I'm not in a good mood. I need to get outside and I need to make sure that I tell, you know, that I'm grateful for this and grateful for that. No, you know what? Sometimes negative emotions have their place. And it was like when I lived in LA, it's great that it was, the sun was shining 360 days out of the year, but sometimes you wanted some clouds because that change in affect reminds you of the different parts of kind of who you are. And it puts you in touch with different kind of uh, you know, just a, a different kind of cadence of living, man. You know, it's like anxiety for one. I used to think anxiety was a huge weakness. I used to think that if you were anxious, you weren't confident when in reality, anxiety is something that just lets you know, you care about something so much in the current moment that of course you're going to be nervous about it. Those nerves are normal. That lets you know that you're alive, right? That's that, that adrenaline dump and that where everything comes from in the, uh, that's of our 
algae for a reason. In the past, anxiety and fear kept us alive. Now we try to get rid of all those things and try to act like it's all just about, again, positivity, which that can be a dangerous drug and that can be a dangerous way in living in and of itself. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right where it's it's encouraged to be so positive and you know that I'm such an optimistic lover of life and that's the way I like to operate. But every emotion serves a purpose and that's the whole thing around that emotional awareness, emotional understanding and understanding where it takes you and what it does for you. Some of those emotions are highly necessary for different lines of work. Some of the UFC fighters that you've worked with, if they didn't let some of their anger arise within them or some athletes, if they just tried to shunt those anxiety, anxious nerves like you talked about, then they can really be detouring in the wrong way. But I think it's really important that people do understand uh, what the emotion, like what those energetic states are actually doing for them. And once again, that's a, such an interesting area of your book when you relate to that upside to your dark side and talk about that within there. So for everyone that's interested in that concept, definitely worth getting the book just just for that alone. But Brett, you're a very values-based driven human and coach, and you talk about the importance of this in your book. What exactly does it mean to you to live in alignment with your values? Because this is one of the key foundations I work with, uh, with all people that I coach. So what what does it look like to live within my values? Yeah. What does it mean to you to live, to live in alignment with your values? Yeah. I mean, I just think, you know, the definition of integrity, do what you say you're going to do and be who you say you are. You know, I don't, I don't think it's any more at least on my end, complicated than that. Um, you know, I, uh, my values used to be a sense of being perfect and that doesn't exist, you know, and I, and I've come to accept that and I don't, I don't even try to be anymore, you know, and again, in a world of routines and habits and hacks and productivity gurus and all these kinds of things, I finally just realized that, you know, I'm fine with the fact that what works for most people doesn't work for me. Um, and I'm just, I'm consistent with that, you know, I just went and did a workshop in Chicago and the guy I, you know, I did it with was great, you know, and God bless him. He was telling me, you know, he wakes up at 4.30, uh, works out, 4.30 in the morning, works out, answers emails, basically does every single thing you could imagine by 7 a.m. And then, you know, works from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m., takes care of all of his clients and then goes home and cooks dinner from 5 p.m. to, you know, whenever, spends time with it. I mean, like literally every moment is planned out. My life isn't that routinized and I used to feel like that made me less than and then, you know, I'm like, well, you know, my routine works for me. You know, I'm the opposite. I'm when you look at chronotypes, I am not uh, a morning person. You know, I will be if my job depends on it and all those things like I've I've had to wake up at 430 when I worked in collegiate athletics. I've had to do those things. But by and large, I'm most productive in the evening. So, you know, I'm, I answer my emails between 1030 and 1130 at night. You know, I'll sometimes be working at one and then I'll still wake up at 730 or what have you, but I'll, I'll work out sometimes if I can't do it between 10 AM and 3 PM. There's a lot of times where I work out at 10 PM at night and that's when my body feels good. It's quiet. There's solitude. The same things that some people like about the morning I like about the evening and that's just how I am. So, you know, I just think that when you look at values, you know, it it comes down to doing what you say you do, being who you say you are, and then just having a sense of acceptance of yourself, Uh, not so much that you're giving yourself excuses for doing certain things, but more importantly, just saying that, you know, 
uh, an understanding that this is how I operate and there's nothing wrong with that because it allows me to be consistent. And do you believe that it's your ability to live authentically like this that allows you to have coached such an array of people like some of the best athletes in the world from NFL to UFC fighters, but you've also traveled with one of the Jonas brothers as their personal coach. And <laughs> you're, you you're not with, supposed to tell people that. <laughs> and worked with Hollywood celebrities like Turtle from Entourage. Do you believe that that's because you can adapt and that authenticity and not just your uh, understanding? It's not just your knowledge of human behavior? Yeah, I'd like to think so. I mean, when I ask people for feedback as to why they work with me, that's a big reason why. I think adaptability is huge. I can't overstate that enough. I know it's not, you know, I'm not being particularly eloquent by not expanding upon that, but sometimes, you know, I'm not into wasting words. Adaptability is the number one trait in life that I think people can have. It's just social agility uh, that matters more than perhaps any other trait that we have aside from, you know, just being a good person. And on that sort of note, talk to me about compassion and empathy as you refer to as the sister traits, but I'm intrigued in your teachings of empathy and why it's the more important trait. No, you know what? Uh, I, I have to be honest. I think that I've I've gone against that the more that I've learned. So empathy, I, I think, has been, um, I think that people have overemphasized. So if you look at just kind of a spectrum, on one end of the spectrum, we have apathy where people care about very little, right? They're kind of just whatever, devil may care. Um, on the far right of that would be empathy. So there's a there's a key distinction between empathy and compassion. Empathy is feeling what somebody else is somebody else feels. Compassion is understanding what somebody feels. So, for example, there's an author named Paul Bloom who wrote a book called Against Empathy, and it, it just it makes some great points. And one of the which one of them, and and not necessarily from his book, but other research that I've read, just talks about could you imagine a surgeon or an EMT or somebody like that that has off the charts empathy? Well, they wouldn't be able to work on trauma patients because somebody would come in with their chest cracked open, you know, or, uh, you know, they'd have stab wounds or, you know, anything like that. And the, it's such a traumatic experience that if you felt literally what that person felt or you felt connected so highly to that person emotionally, it, it would cloud your judgment and it would cloud reason. Whereas compassion allows you to understand, okay, this is a bad situation. The surgeon can look at it, think about it pragmatically sympathize with that individual, but still be detached enough to make the appropriate decision. So, you know, empathy taken to the far end of the spectrum is a very dangerous trait. Um, and it's almost kind of been taken out of context. We actually want to be more compassionate individuals and have an understanding for certain situations while not letting ourselves get wrapped up in them emotionally. My bad. It was actually compassion that I remember now reading about and hearing you talk about previously and, and that all makes complete sense when you relate those two traits like that. You talked a bit about before about really understanding yourself and when you operate best and it's often late at night. I often joke to people about when I stayed at your house, I would sneak to the bathroom in the morning or the reason I would sleep with earplugs is because you're a 24-7 abundantly energetic human and in the mornings or late at night when I'm getting comfy with myself and not zoned into the Bartholomew whirlwind of awesomeness at those times, I just needed to, to be with myself. But your so-called like quote-unquote success in your short life is undoubtedly due to your ability to and passion to just do everything that's required and you don't wait for things to happen. So talk to me about patience and there's a relationship, uh, your relationship to the quote in the book from Joyce Meyer, which is patience is not simply about the ability to wait, but how we behave while we're waiting. Yeah, I just, you know, this is another thing that, you know, uh, 
I don't want your listeners to think I'm contrarian. I think patience is important, but I think you have to be, I think you have to, I don't think that everything comes to he who waits. I think everything comes to he who hustles while he waits. You know, you have to set the stage for things, right? Like you have to be prepared. And uh, I think that's one thing that understanding a valuable trait that I used to think was a, a negative trait or what I refer to in the book as a dark sided trait early on is my natural state of anxiety lends myself to not waiting and just kind of twiddling my thumbs. Um, there might be times where I procrastinate and I, I find that I actually perform far better under pressure. Like if you give me four months to do something as opposed to four days, I'm just going to do better in, in that four day timeline because And that's really social physics to a degree as well. Uh, Work will expand to fit the time. So if you give somebody four months, they find that by and large, they'll fill up that whole time with some other kind of, you know, dawdling or preparation or what have you. Right. So I just think having a sense of urgency in what you do and then a sense of strategy and how you apply it is is the most important thing. And uh, you have to be targeted, but you have to stay active in things in life because stuff's not just going to come to you. Uh, you can make yourself believe that because, of course, you can have a state of acceptance about anything if you just kind of sit around and think, oh, the timing wasn't right, this and that, what have you. I'm a big believer in that everything in this universe is about energy. And if you're not creating energy, it's hard to expect it to come back to you. Of course, you know, there's a great uh, quote in Greek mythology where they say the gods favor <laughs> favor a fool. I think that can be a degree uh, that can be a reality to a degree as well. So, of course, we all know outliers and individuals that didn't maybe apply themselves and were in the right place at the right time. Uh, But by and large, having sustained success is not about that. I find this really interesting with you, actually. And you also talk about in in your book uh, how conscious you are about your time left on this planet. And you talk about... Todd Henry referring to this as dying empty. Yeah, it just goes into what I said previously. You know, I think that you've got to you've got to find something and kind of pour your heart into that. And sometimes you may not know what that's going to be. Sometimes you may be, uh, you know, you uh, you apply that in the wrong direction. And I've I've done that. Sometimes I put my energy into some of the wrong things. Sometimes I put energy into wrong people and it ends up cannibalizing the difference that you can make. I've had to learn that as a mentor. I'm really passionate about mentoring, but I've also been taken advantage of a lot as a mentor and realized that sometimes I give a little bit too much uh, and that may not resonate with everybody. But listen, like you have a mission you have to fulfill on this earth. And of course, that mission predominantly is is giving back and all those kinds of things. But if you're not selfish, or sorry, if you're not selfish, sometimes it's really hard to be selfish. Ugh. Let me try that again. It's early in the morning. Sorry. If you're not selfish, sometimes it's hard to be selfless. And that took literally almost 31 years of my life to figure out. Um, I almost, you know, I could not just come to terms with the fact that, no, you know what? I'm going to say no to this. I'm going to be a bit more selfish. I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to do this. And then I can help other people at a bigger scale. Um, and I do. I have to do that a little bit now, you know, even with people will reach out on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And I used to just kill myself answering every single message, whether it was, hey, Brett, where should I go to grad school? Which like is an impossible question to ask. Or, hey, Brett, why does my shoulder hurt? Or, hey, Brett, what book should I read? Which is probably like the most frequent question I get. And I realized, you know what, like I'm going to turn all this off. I'm going to, I wrote this book. I'm going to tell people some of the times when they ask me, Hey, like, you know, no offense, but read the book. You know what I mean? And in the past, I would have thought that somebody said that is just trying to increase their sales and this and that. But for me, that's not the case. I wrote the book to give my best advice. So now I try to tell people when they reach out, 
hey, thanks for the support. You know, I, I don't mean to be rude here, but have you read my book by chance? And if they say no, I just say, well, with all due respect, I, I address that in the book, you know, and so I, I wouldn't have done things like that. I would have just kept typing messages, doing this, doing that. And then the next thing you know, I have a wife that I'm barely spending any time with because at 930 at night, I'm sitting there answering Facebook messages to people that don't want to do the research on their own. And I, I think sometimes being a good leader, again, is not just about empathy to that point. That's why compassion's better because sometimes compassion lends itself to saying like, just no, I understand that you want some guidance. I understand, but you've got to do your due diligence here too. And here are my suggestions for that. But you know, and come back when you have more specific questions and those kinds of things. So now, I know that sounds rude, but I just think that in, in this world that we live in where everybody's so entitled and every it's constant access and all these things, we have to draw the line somewhere. Doesn't sound rude at all. What you're doing is enhancing your industry and you've just provided so much material and content for people to refer to. So they, instead of just reaching out and asking the questions, they can then read your book and decipher and implement and, and make their own meaning from it too. Right, 100%. And it can get hard to gauge because I don't have a ton of like folks around me all the time time that are doing kind of the things that I'm doing in terms of uh, like maybe my specific job or how I kind of am a mix right now between being a consultant, a coach, an author and all this. So I don't always have a ton of folks that can always relate, especially in the world of strength and conditioning, right? Like I still work in a field that by and large doesn't recognize its value and coaches just want to argue about kind of minutia as opposed to understanding what we do is on a larger scale. So sometimes that can be a bit daunting because you're just kind of, you know, you're doing what you think is right in the moment, but you don't always have that guide. And then you're trying to be a guide for other people. Absolutely. Brett, I mentioned at the beginning that I came back to stay with you again in 2015 to complete the performance therapy course at Altus. And I was actually supposed to do this course at the end of my internship when I was there in 2014, but it was actually while I was sleeping in your house that I awoke to dozens of missed calls and messages on my phone to contact my family back in Australia and it was in your house where I'd been living for a couple of months that I got the terrible news that my grandparents had been murdered in their own home back in Cobar and all the frequent listeners to this podcast understand that this very podcast itself is actually collateral beauty from that adversity in my life but mate I've never told you this but when I was reading your book it all hit me of why we've always been connected so deeply and how many similarities there are between our minds in terms of understanding of and respect for human behavior and emotions. And I feel like I'm probably manifesting my journey in a bit more of a spiritual way, but I just wanted to thank you for being you and for you to know that your presence is forever deeply ingrained in my journey. Oh, I appreciate that, man. That was that was something that we don't we don't forget either. And uh, so, yeah, that that means a lot for you to say. Thank you. Yeah, it was uh, quite an emotional journey, but uh, uh, that's why I feel so connected to you. Now, there's so many other areas we could dive into, but I wanted to encourage every single person listening to get your book, and I'll obviously link it all up in the show notes. But I believe you also have a new online program coming out in Feb this year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're doing. Um I've created a pretty in-depth uh, follow-up to the book called uh, – it's a course called Bought In. And we actually haven't even started advertising it yet. All we've done is kind of reveal the website that it's going to be hosted on, which is uh, artofcoaching.com. 
And it's something that I've, I've definitely poured a lot of time and hours into, especially since after the book was written, uh, there was so much more research that I was trying to just make sense of and organize and, and figure out how to best consolidate into a meaningful framework for people that are interested in, you know, how to build trust, meaningful connections, more buy-in, uh, you know, whether, whether you look at it as persuasion or influence or just more intentional communication, we wanted to create a one-stop shop resource for that. And we really think that bought in is going to be that. So within the next month or so, that'll start to be marketed a bit more heavily. Um, we're just continuing to go through the production process right now, clean everything up, go through some betas, make sure that it's all seamless. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, we'll definitely keep posted with that because I can see that growing into something amazing, a really good opportunity. I understand what it's like to aim to bring everything into an online program and just be able to make that impact spread further. So good on you and good luck with all that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Now, we didn't even talk about the abundance of specific sports coaching tools that are in your book because I've heard dozens of podcasts with you talking about these and I believe you're, I believe you're actually more valuable to me and my community talking talking about human behavior as we has as we have and everything that we dived into but I'm all about action and we know you are too so this should be an easy one for you to answer and I ask all my guests this what specific advice can you give to the listeners on what action they can take to become more impactful in their lives and in their communities? Yeah, I think it depends on uh, where they're trying to be more impactful in particular. You know, I'm as, as frustrating as it may be, I don't think that, you know, I'm just not somebody that thinks there's a blanket answer for one thing. But I think that what you can do to take more action is just that, like take action. Too many people sit and ruminate on what should I do? How should I do it? I mean, my mother, God bless her, is a perfect example of that. You know, she's she's retired now after a 40 some odd year career and she's trying to find a, a way to, to get involved with charities and organizations, but she almost researches herself out of the equation. She can't find one that she, you know, it feels like it's a perfect fit or there's something about another one that excites her more than this and that. And I say, mom, you know, just get busy with it. Like do one of them and that will probably lead you in the direction you want to go. But you, you're going to sit here and debate and, and figure out new opportunities or options every day. And that's not going to help. So I just think people need to dive in. I do think that there's a point to being strategic and, and looking at all of your resources and all that. But beyond a certain point, you've just got to get busy doing something and be willing to make mistakes. And, and that usually points you in the most meaningful direction. Brilliant. Action. I love it. We spoke about uh, values a lot in this chat and one of my top core values is giving. I give all my guests something for giving their time and abundance of value. And for you, my brother from another mother, I've been speaking to your beautiful wife, Liz, and I asked her to organize a favorite treat of yours that will have you, I said to her, something that makes you react in a way of crazy dancing, battle rapping, and one of your outgoing voice impersonations. Has that happened yet? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm disappointed I didn't get a video of you doing the battle rapping and crazy voice impersonations. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask what it was? She didn't even tell me. Yeah, she just made, you know, she had made, she knew I was going to China uh, pretty soon. I was going to be exposed to some, you know, interesting, albeit wonderful in its own right, food. So she made one of my favorite desserts, which, like, for me is uh, banana pudding with whipped cream and vanilla wafers. So you, you make banana pudding, you mix in whipped cream, fresh bananas, and vanilla wafers, and it's like a southern-type dessert here in the States, and it's it's literally my favorite 
sweet dessert in the world. Oh, brilliant. I'm glad that I was able to put that in your stomach before you traveled to China. Because <laughs> Brett said he was going to send me money for it. I told him to piss off. <laughs> I'll make up for that when I come for a visit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. So, two-part question here. Where can the listeners find you online and your book? And also, how can I and the listeners help you on your journey? Uh, so, where everybody can find me best right now is Art of Coaching. Com. Uh, that's going to be where I move everything that I'm doing over to. Uh, everything's going to be locked in there. Again, it's it's a bit of a transition process, so that'll be artofcoaching.com is up right now, and you can see a pretty awesome, uh, what I think is awesome, preview for what's coming. Uh, but as of February, all of that will be locked over there. So if you, right now, if you want to go and, and take a look at the book, you can just go to Amazon. The name of the book is Conscious Coaching. You can download a free chapter at ConsciousCoachingBook.com. But the easiest and one-stop shop is going to be ArtOfCoaching.com. If you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get every update. You'll get every resource. Everything will be locked in and ready to go for you within the next month. And you're a pretty active tweeter. What's your Twitter handle? Yeah, just at Coach underscore Brett B. Uh, Probably a bit more active these days on Instagram, but either one of those is the same, at Coach underscore Brett B. Brilliant. Yeah, I've seen, uh, I follow your Instagram stories a lot. I'm right into Instagram stories these days. Yeah, they're good. Now, I would normally ask a question about mentors here, but I decided I just wanted to do a very quick reminiscence with you instead, and I've got a couple of memories to mention, and the first one is Shy Ronnie. Shy Ronnie! <laughs> no, that's actually not it, but I'm glad you reacted like that. I do crack up every time I hear and think about Shy Ronnie from our experiences together at your place. <laughs> uh, you have, have to send a link in the show notes to uh, your viewers. I definitely <laughs> will. They're going to feel robbed. <laughs> no, it's actually one of the memories is me using my floss band on uh, NFL player Don Terry Poe and the physios watching in disgust and pulling you aside later. Do you remember Poe's reaction? Yeah, I don't remember what he said, but he was just like, what in the world is this thing? I thought he was going to beat me up or eat me. He's undoubtedly the biggest human I've ever worked with. I was. It was like wrapping a floss band just around a tree. He's just muscle on muscle. He's a big human being, and he gave me no positive emotions at all. But when you got home that night, you were high-fiving me, and we had your, one of your funky dances together in the kitchen because you said he was stoked with how he's knee felt after that <laughs> yeah big poe loves big poe doesn't show much emotion but once you crack his sultry exterior he's the man and the reason i bring this up is because athletes like this have contracts worth multiple millions of dollars and rely on coaches like yourself to help them stay in their game the longest and you knew that exploring something outside of your quote-unquote system that you were working at the time could be beneficial for this athlete, for Poe. Do you feel like this was an underlying factor for you branching out on your own and creating your own brand? In terms of me just being open to, uh, to new methods and modalities? Yeah, and just wanting what everything that's the best uh, interest of the athlete. Yeah, you know, I just think that you know, being on your own and being able to go an independent route offers a, a flexibility in a multitude of ways, right? And so, I think in my life, I very much crave flexibility. Um, I don't like the feeling of being kind of tied down to something because I think there's so much to explore and the only way you gain true knowledge is by exploring. I do think that everybody needs to serve, you know, an apprenticeship, of course, of some type. Um, I think that, you know, uh, it, it would be a bit of a fool's errand 
at least for, for people in, in our field, to go out and think that right off the bat, they're going to know exactly what they need to do and the best ways to do it. So I think internships are extremely, extremely valuable. Um, but eventually, you know, after you've done your internships, after you've worked for some folks, I think that you've got to put your own skin in the game and uh, you've got to really go out and test your own methods. And I mean, even the book was that for me, being able to say, okay, I'm going to put what I think I know out into the world. Um, I'm going to open myself up to intense and immense criticism by doing so. Um, but we're, we're going to see where it leads us. And so absolutely, I think it's, it's multifactorial there. Brilliant. And you were actually the one that put me on to the book 48 Laws of Power and Robert Greene's other ones. Uh, oh, what's his other one now? When you just mentioned there, the, the apprenticeship phase of everyone's life. Mastery. Sorry? Mastery. Mastery. The that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. I think that's a really good read for everyone to to understand more about what you're talking about there. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, he's uh, very... I think that's probably the best book you could read on the topic for sure. Now, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to say to the listeners? No, I just, you know, I think that hopefully, and I don't think I need to tell your listeners this, they're obviously very much locked into your content, but you continue to be one of the most unique uh, individuals I know just in terms of all the adventures you guys take, all the, all the different experiences you open yourself up to. And I don't think that there's a better podcast or person out there to learn you know, the varied perspectives from. So, no, keep following. You know, Brett Brett is an amazing person. He's, for me, I'm a bit biased because it's not just a voice over the speaker. He lived with us. He's family to us, all those things. But I learn a tremendous amount from him. And then just stay tuned to artofcoaching.com because there's some great things coming. Brett Bart, you're a legend. You're undoubtedly the most energetic human I've ever met and to watch you pour that energy into impacting the world at such significantly profound levels with the purpose to make all humans the best version of themselves is powerful and infectious. So keep shining your proud, compassionate and energetic light to the world, my man. Appreciate you, buddy. There it is, an epic episode from my brother from another mother. Make sure you check out Brett's book and have it as a great resource for your leadership development skills and check out the show notes for all the details we spoke about, including his new online course. For more opportunities to improve your own emotional intelligence and leadership skills, jump onto yourlifeofimpact.com forward slash coaching or reach out to me at brett at lifeintentional.com.au and find out more information on the online training and education opportunities that I'm providing. If you know someone who will benefit from this episode, please simply share it with them as you could be introducing them to content that can spark just the inspiration and knowledge they need to make that change and impact in their lives. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.